Amen. Thank you for that beautiful song. Wonderful truths. Can't thank him enough for his grace that is sufficient. Mm. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 tonight. And, uh, as you know, Pastor is away. He uh, went to the Victory Conference. Before that, he was at the home going of Miss Hannah Spradlin as uh, several of our church members were able to go up there and please continue to pray for Bobby and uh, Miss Sarah and Noah. Um, even though she was ill and battling cancer and uh, things did not take the turn they were hoping for, uh, life is now different for them. But we know we can trust what God tells us in His Word, what many of you have experienced personally in your, in your life, that His grace is sufficient even during these days, and that Miss Hannah is she's in the presence of her Christ, of her God. And uh, just thinking about all that pastor's been preaching on about heaven, that's, that's, our, that's our, our goal. That's where we're going, and we will be there one day. Um, she arrived a lot sooner than, than we will. And she wouldn't want to come back. Uh, she wouldn't want to be, she'd want to be there in the presence of her Savior. Uh, thank you for turning to Matthew chapter 5. And, and before we read the scriptures, just want to give a, just a quick personal testimony. Um, I got saved when I was about, I believe it's seven years old. And that seems like forever ago. And I'm thankful for my mother who... Uh, just simply took the scriptures, really took one. And uh, I, I know it was over and over again, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I did not understand the powerful truths in that one verse. And I would say for most of my life, uh, didn't understand them and would even doubt uh, my salvation uh, and would, would seek counsel and help from people. Uh, but I, I just want to say this is a testimony to the way God works things out in everyone's life. But uh, since coming to this church and being a part of Canaan, I've understood more now what that means, what salvation really is, what it took for God to provide that for us, and how it is so secure and so settled when a person calls upon Christ to save them. But then even more than that, to learn how to live the Christian life, live the not I, but Christ life. And I know as well, you would agree, we've not arrived to that not I, but Christ life that Paul could speak of. But I love the journey. It's not an easy journey when God reveals to you all of you that's broken and messed up and uh, the, the sometimes maybe resisting that we would give the Lord when he's trying to mold us and make us into his image. But I am so thankful for uh, just the culture that pastor in this church is cultivating because it's just not common. And just going through our lesson in experiencing God that we'll study in together Sunday just really hammered down more of um, just 
I don't want to say wrong thinking. Yeah, maybe it is wrong thinking, but I'm just so thankful when I, I, I read that and think, man, we've, I've looked at this wrong or maybe other churches had this wrong. And I'm not trying to be critical. I, I guess I just want to say I'm thankful for our vision and our direction. It's just not everywhere that you find this. And more than ever, we need to pray that God would protect our church and protect our pastor and protect us. Uh, we, we want this to keep going and we want more people to jump on in because the water's fresh and cool and there's enough for everybody. There's enough for Newton County and Rockdale County and just let's just keep it going. Um, if, I know you've probably found Matthew 5 by now. I just want to share that. But let's stand together and, and let's read the first uh, 12 verses together. Matthew chapter 5. These are known as the, uh, the Beatitudes or the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preaches. And it's, it's an interesting uh, picture in my mind as Jesus is on a mountainside and we know he is teaching primarily the 12 disciples and he's wanting them to learn how to reach the multitude. So he's investing in them. And obviously there are people around. And then you think about Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the words of God. And at that time, people were very fearful of God and there was boundaries set up and it just a, a wonderful display of God's power on Mount Sinai. And here it's almost as the Lord is wanting to say, come closer, let's get more intimate. And I believe each each instance is God had a specific purpose in mind of how he presented himself. But nonetheless, this is just a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior giving a wonderful sermon. So let's read together. Um, you just follow along. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoicing, I'm sorry, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to read again verse 3, one of the ones we'll be looking at tonight. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you and be seated. Lord, I just want to pause and just thank you for this opportunity in our church. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us really get a hold of these truths that you want to have in all of our lives. Lord, may we recognize this is not qualities or characteristics of some uh, pie in the sky dream or uh, an elite Christian. Lord, you want all of us to possess all of these wonderful virtues that you so exhibited now and while you were on this earth. So, Lord, we need your help tonight to uh, let you change our lives into the image of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as kind of by way of introduction, the, this, this Sermon on the Mount really is... is the couple of chapters that it is contained in is more like a roadmap to finding true joy and real happiness. And we know that people are ever wanting to be happy. And our culture, our society with technology and all that it offers is going to give you a lot of um, quick, quick fixes and 
uh, things in their life that will allow you to uh, find um, find that that distraction and maybe uh, scratch the itch or fill the void. But really, uh, these these verses here, they describe, you know, blessed or blessed. What true happiness, true joy, uh, untainted. In fact, uh, we could say this word blessed means a divine joy and perfect happiness. It implies an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that does not depend on outward circumstances for happiness. I wrote that in my Bible. It could have been from pastor, but uh, it probably wasn't my thought. But that is what being blessed is or blessed. It doesn't depend upon the outward circumstances. It's an inside work of satisfaction. And so kind of by way of introduction, then we'll I'll hope to get to verse three. But number one of of I just want to talk about five qualities or five truths that we want to recognize in the Beatitudes. And the first one is that all Christians are to possess this character. Christ wants all of us to be all that is in uh, this Bible, on this page, in these verses. All of us are to be like this man that's described in the Beatitudes. He's saying, if you really want to be blessed, if you really want to have these, this kind of life, here you are. This is I'm giving you a picture. I'm giving you what you should possess. And may I say that in the very beginning, if we try to work towards this goal, we've really circumvented where Christ wants us to go. We, we can't work these up. This has to be from God. So I've already described what it means to be blessed. This inner satisfaction, this sufficiency that doesn't depend upon what's outside. It's what's on inside. And to be honest, as one rotor, one rotor, that's a nice word, one writer wrote, um, we would be envious of this kind of man. If we saw someone like this, we would, we would say, I want to be like him. We would, we would congratulate him and say, man, bless God, you've, you've, not that you've arrived, but love what God's done in your life. And, and because this would be probably someone who is the most joy-filled person we've ever met. And, and maybe you can think of someone right now that, man, this, this person, this man, this lady, this boy, this girl just seems to have the joy of the Lord just spilling out. And, and if that were true and God had truly done the work, we'd probably peel back and find out they would, they would possess a lot of these virtues, these qualities, these beatitudes, if you will, that Christ is talking about. We all want to be happy. But oftentimes we may want to do this at, at the expense of avoiding trials. And when we seek happiness, may I just say the great deceiver will enter in and offer you something cloaked as happiness later to find out you're completely unhappy, full of misery and sadness. And so, as I said, this is not a, a, a dream for someone to pursue. This is not an idea. This is not really an ideal Christian to look at or go after. Really, this is this is what we ought to want to be in our inner man. These qualities, this kind of person. Uh, we can sometimes get, be guilty of, I think, uh, maybe putting people in groups and thinking, man, there's no way that, that I, would, I, could, I could be that person or have that. And, and to be honest with you, later on, I'll, we're probably going to talk about how this really isn't attractive. This isn't an, a, an attractive virtue to possess because when you first read it, you're thinking, 
There's no way. No, no one would want to. No one would want to be blessed are they that mourn. What, in fact, what does that even mean? And what do you mean to be poor in spirit? Uh, I'm I'm working. I don't need any more poverty in my life. Uh, I've got enough problems with uh, with with what's before me today. But really, this. Again, this is for us all, but I think we need to be careful. Sometimes we we use this as a standard and we'll put people in groups and we'll think, well, that's for the the maybe the pastor or the that that guy at my table who just seems to be real good at studying the Bible and teaching. Well, that's that's him. You know, I, I could never I could never be that kind of Christian. And and really, that's not it at all. This is for the pastor as well as the person in the pew. Whether we're in vocational ministry, part time ministry, three quarters, full time. If you have a full uh, secular career, uh, these Beatitudes are for you and for me. In fact, when we look at the men of the New Testament who wrote much of the Bible, we read words like this that they would describe of themselves. Paul, a servant of Christ, and he would call himself an apostle of Christ. And he wrote in Philemon, I'm a prisoner of Christ. James wrote he was a servant of God. Uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Second Peter, um, or, or Simon Peter wrote in Second Peter, he is a servant and an apostle of Christ. Jude wrote, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And so these were lofty, we would say maybe lofty men because God used them to write the, the pages of this Bible. But may I say, we too, uh, just as they found uh, virtues that Christ built in them, we too ought to seek after that. That ought to be our ambition is to have their attitude. I almost, as I look at them, I think there's no difference between me and the writer of the Bible. And then I think there's a lot of big differences there. But you know what I mean? The, the, the ground is level at the cross. Amen. The same Jesus that, that these men encountered, man, we can encounter Christ as well. It's for everyone. Number two, this is really short. We'll kind of breeze by this one. Um, we are to possess all of them. Uh, not to focus on one and just, oh, I think, I think meekness is my strength, so I'll focus over here. And No, uh, we're to possess all of them. And, and it means that all of us possess all of them, not I possess one and you possess the others or you possess the other. You possess one and I possess the others. No, as a church body, we're to possess them all. They're mutually inclusive, all of them. He wants us to have all of these virtues, all of these beatitudes. They're to be present in our lives all at the same time. Wow. Number three, these are not natural tendencies. These are beatitudes. These are not your personality, your nature. Well, don't you love good-natured people? I mean, they just seem to be easy to get along with. People that are just calm and cool and collective. And it just kind of seems to be their, their mannerism. And, and you could say, you know, maybe God allowed them to have that disposition. And, but it's, these, are, these are not them at all. We may want to attribute them to something natural. And we must be very careful because I've, I've heard these statements over the years and not necessarily most recent, but we would describe a friend or a neighbor and say, man, that's the sweetest person I know. And man, they're, they're sweeter than people the, at the church down there. And uh, that person doesn't go to church at all. But man, they just seem to have the they're just such a giving person. And they just seem to be, you know, oozing and dripping with spirituality. And we must be careful um, when we say things like that. Lest we give the impression that 
that kind of disposition that someone possesses um, is maybe just that's how they're put together. And thank God for that. But as I said, these are not natural. These are not they come they don't come about by natural means, nor is this something that we're trying to simulate in our Christian character. We want to actually have these in our life, Uh, not faking it till you make it, pretending this way until it becomes a reality. No, we're we're after these so that we can actually be these attitudes, be the be attitudes. The Beatitudes show us what is godly and ungodly. They show us what's Christian and non-Christian. Um, there, there's, a, there's an idea even today and, um, that we still want to make uh, church attractive for people so that we can maybe get the lost people in here. And may I say there's nothing attractive about being a Beatitude Christian. But I tell you what will attract people is the invariable difference between the people of God and the rest of the world. You want to know at first people are not going to want to hear the gospel that if they die in their sins, they will spend eternity in a devil's hell. No one that that and really that is that is the truth. And the good news is that Jesus Christ will save a man from hell, will save him from his sins, all of his sins past present and future, give him eternal life and enable him to live a victorious life, free to serve God, free to be uh, free to not be bound in sin and not be bound to the evil one. And so truly uh, this may not be uh, attractive to uh, the world, but no no less the world will recognize there's something different about that group of people over there, something different about that church. And you know, can we be honest for a minute? If we start talking about uh, a kind of man that is poor in spirit, a kind of man that mourns, who's meek, a kind of man who's hungry for righteousness, a kind of man who is merciful, the kind of man that is pure, he's a peacemaker. Uh, may I just say the world would oftentimes say, you know what, that kind of man is weak because he's not self-reliant. He's not self-confident. He's not aggressive. He's not self-seeking course, because all of those would imply that he's empty of self. And it's not attractive to the world, but that is what God counts as virtuous. Uh, you look at you look at social media feeds, emails, ads, whatever, and they're all driving men and women to be centered on self. Uh, the natural man Uh, He is part of the world and it's the world that exalts him. In fact, the natural man is the antithesis to the man who is seeking to be filled with these beatitudes. Moving along here, and I want to get to uh, verse three here. Um, Last one is we must or number four, we must be different in what we seek. Uh, The the Christian man is going to seek. These are his ambitions, if I could say it that way. Lost people have ambitions and they want the status and the the position and the publicity. Um, But the man of God, the man who wants to be the man filled with beatitudes, his life is very different from the world. It's very different than those who are lost. God help us if our lives are not any different than people um, around us. And in fact, I would I remember having a 
a breakfast one time with Pastor Hardy and he was just sharing some things with me. I would, I'd ask Pastor Ingham, I said, hey, can I sit with Pastor Hardy? Uh, we were at a place together. I said, I just want to pick his brain, um, just trying to learn a lot. He had pastored the same church for almost 30 years and uh, it, it grew from a church that was a small group of people, like 30. They were in debt. And later on when he left, it, I think the church was like running like they had probably 800 in attendance. And um, God had just used his leadership to bless the church. And we were talking and and he just made a statement. He said, I don't I, I think the reason and this was speaking of his church there in um, in Oklahoma. He said, I believe that the reason we didn't see more people from from Christians workplace uh, while I was there was simply, he says, I don't think the Christians had a good testimony in their work environment because the, the people there could see no difference between their life and the life of uh, the lost man. And I just say that thinking that there's a stark contrast between the man who wants to be poor in spirit than the man who doesn't know Christ. There's a stark contrast in our lives, in our worlds. Our ambitions are different. We're, we're, we're heading in a different direction. Paul uh, Peter admonishes us in 1 Peter chapter 2, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, pilgrims, because we're, we're just passing through this life, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We're not confident in our own capacity because really we don't have any. Uh, let me let me just move on to verse three. Uh, let's look at verse three together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This poor in spirit. We could say is the fundamental virtue that really leads us to the rest, that connects the rest. Um, it's the foundation of virtue every believer has or should have. In a sense, it points, all the others point back to this one. If we were to expound upon these words, poor in spirit, well, what does it mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It simply means emptying so that we can fill it up again. It's telling us we must be empty of ourselves so that we can be full of God. We must be subject to and obey God's conviction before we can experience conversion. There's got to be an emptying of self. Let's, if, if, a, if, a, if a man is drowning in the ocean and he's not, if he's proud enough to think he can keep treading water and he doesn't need the lifeguard to save him, eventually he will tire and die. He has to come to a place of realization. I cannot, and, and I'm, I'm talking in a physical sense, I can't save myself from this drowning situation. The, the rip current is too strong. The waves are too tall. They're too high. I don't have the physical stamina to do this for very long. If someone doesn't come rescue me, I'm, it, I'm done. I'm doomed. I'm over. It's, it's finished. It's the same spiritually. We are, if, if, if we're drowning in an ocean of sins and we're lost and, and we're, we're treading water and we're doing the best we can and, and we, begin, we become self-reliant and we think, I can do this, I, I got the stamina. And then after a while, after years go by, we realize, I don't have the stamina. I mean, if someone doesn't do something soon, I'm done, I'm doomed. And when the emptying of self occurs, we realize I can't do this, I can't save myself, I need someone to help me, I need a savior. 
we raise our hand and say, save me physically, spiritually, save me. I'm drowning. That's poor in spirit. That's that's what that is. It's poor in spirit. We you um, the, the Bible says in John chapter three that we are all under condemnation already. Jesus Christ didn't come to condemn the condemned because we're without Christ. We are condemned already. He came to save. He came to rescue us and to remove us out from under that 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 title, that that category, that that's your label. You are now condemned. He came to remove us from that condemnation into life. That's it's poor in spirit. You, we can't we can't work up the poor in spirit. In fact, we could probably say this uh, to quote uh, a British author. I think he's British. Martin Lloyd Jones. He said this. We could almost say blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs and theirs only is the kingdom of heaven. We can't get sa- a man cannot get saved without first being empty of self and realizing he can't save himself from his sins. It must be God that saves him. And, and this isn't something that being poor in spirit, um, I, I go and apply, you know, you know, like this, uh, the, the practical steps of being poor in spirit. I don't think there are any. I don't think that we can take practical steps. It's it's finding ourselves totally bankrupt, unable, casting our total dependence upon Christ and asking him to save us and him alone. Being poor in spirit is like looking up to Mount Everest. It's twenty nine thousand thirty two feet. I think that's tall. It's beautiful, beautiful creation of God. But it's like. Poor in spirit is saying, "Okay, Dana, you must be poor in spirit. And poor in spirit is Mount Everest. You must climb it all by yourself. And I think there's no way it's it's like two miles high or something. It's crazy. It's there's no way it's more than two miles. I can't I can't get up there, but I'm going to give it the old try. The fact that we would attempt to give something the old try means we have no idea. We've negated everything that poor in the spirit even means. It's looking at that mountain and saying, I can't do it, but God, you can. It doesn't mean being poor financially. Because I possess no finance doesn't mean I'm not gripped by money. Wealth or no wealth, we can still lust after, after finances, after money. And, and it just sounds something like this. If only I had whatever it is, if only I had a thousand dollars, if I had a million dollars, if I if I had this, if I had so and so, things would be better. Even poor people destitute financially can be gripped by wealth. But that's not what it, this is not talking about poor in finance. It's talking about poor in self. Poverty of spirit. We mentioned earlier briefly how our culture emphasizes self, self-reliance, self-confidence, expressing yourself, selfies, you know, selfies. Um, <laughs> being aggressive, self-made man. How about, you know, um, in, in the business world, just uh, pretending you've got it all together. And so that when you're with people, you're trying to land a deal with or make a sale, you you, you want to come across as if 
I've got all the answers because I want to land that deal. And and I realize there's a proper way and you want to know your job and know your abilities and know the company and know the product. I mean, that that would make common sense. But a lot of times it's all about, man, just build yourself up to be so impressive that people can't can't turn away from you. And that leads to haughtiness and pride. And we begin to believe what we say about ourselves. Being poor in spirit means I know what I look like when I'm in the presence of God. I know who I really am. That's why being poor in spirit is not a popular, popular uh, thing or popular position that people are signing up to be. But there are positives. There are positives to being the kind of Christian that is poor in spirit. We can talk about the negatives, but we're not to see ourselves as worthless because you have great value because Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And because of that, you are immensely valuable to him. And we're not to look at ourselves and be downtrodden. You are created into the image of a perfect heavenly father. Every pimple on your face, every mole, every wart, every idiosyncrasy that we have, every personality quirk, every habit, maybe not the habits because sometimes we put those in there, but everything about us, short, tall, skinny, not skinny, long hair, short hair, black hair, gray hair, white skin, black skin, brown skin, yellow skin, you're created in his image. So that's not about the positive is it's he created us. And so, but it is understanding of who we are in light of who he is. In Isaiah chapter 57, he says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. He's talking about God, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Listen to this. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Poor in spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We want to turn God's head. You want to catch God's eye? Pray. Ask God to make us men and women who are poor in spirit. For ours, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How about Moses? Moses had a good view of himself when he's, uh, we're looking at him and experiencing God. How Moses being the first man that God would work wonderful and powerful miracles through. And he has a little argument with God talking about he, he can't lead, he can't do this, he can't speak. And, and uh, God shows him, Moses, I just want you to be obedient. I'll do all the work. You just be available. You, you trust and obey. You, you don't have to come with, you don't have to be self-reliant, Moses. You don't have to be self-confident, Moses. I just need you humble, obedient, trust me. And Moses says, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. I believe Moses is trying to say, man, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. But God, if you say, that, if you say uh, follow you, trust you, take the staff, that's what I'll do. God used him great in a great and mighty way. How about King David? Uh, king David, God made a covenant between God and a king that he, he would have someone on his throne forever. And King David prayed and, and went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Uh, he understood the great 
holiness of God. And he understood how he was in front of God. But he was thankful that God would so make a covenant with him. How about Simon Peter? Now, we've talked about, uh, you know, self Peter. I love Peter. Peter's that self-reliant, self-confident, over regret. I mean, he just he just went after it. Uh, he he uh, he was um, full of he was his ego uh, or his mouth <laughs> wrote checks that he would never be able to cash. Um, but I, I love I love Peter's attitude. So uh, they're out fishing. They haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, why don't why don't you push out into the deep and let down your nets? And amazingly, it seems like every fish in the sea found their way into their net. And when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. I want to go back and read that verse out of Isaiah. <clears throat> I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We, we can talk about these men and we can, we can name their failures. But these men were poor in spirit. They understood who they were. They probably didn't understand all of who God was. But I believe they, they caught God's attention because they made themselves humble. Poor in spirit. Emptying of self. Uh, Paul writes this in Philippians uh, remember, remember, Paul uh, in Philippians chapter three, he gives his uh, his creed, his uh, credentials, right, of everything that he had attained in life. And uh, we we would sometimes maybe call Paul the, the super Christian. He wouldn't say he would not talk about himself that way. Um, but I, I like Paul. He was one of the few Christians, I believe, that he ran out of course before his life ended. It's almost like listening to the Savior when he talks about how he was he was he was finished. He had done all that he thought he, God had given him to do. But he writes, though, I may also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. Paul says, I the more he had it all when it came to the physical attainments that, that the world would offer. But he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He was a man poor in spirit. He, he had gained much, but he had emptied himself of all of that. The kingdom of heaven is his. And I like our Savior, the best and greatest and most perfect example. And we just looked at some of these verses over in the, the teacher's meeting. In John chapter five, in fact, I just want to turn there and read it. I have a lot in my notes, but I want to read from John chapter five, and we're going to see this again on Sunday. But this is amazing. These are amazing words. I'm in John six, John five, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do for what things soever he doeth. These also doeth the son likewise. You know how powerful that is that Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself. Y'all catch that? Amen. Jesus is saying, I can't do anything in and of myself. But wait, aren't you the son of God? Aren't you the living word? Weren't you there when, when the earth was created? Didn't you do all that? 
But you're saying, poor in spirit. He'd emptied himself. I, I can't explain it, but as far as the example of what does it mean to empty, be empty of yourself, be filled with God, let God lead, let God have your innermost man, there it is. The son can do nothing of himself. Total dependence and total surrender to his father in heaven. Amen. He told us, for without me, ye can do nothing. Amen. What does that mean? We must be poor in spirit. Uh, so really what we're trying to do is just define. And I think we've we've done that tonight with the scriptures. What is it meant? And so I, let me read this quote here. Then what is it meant by being poor in spirit? It means a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance, assurance and self-reliance. It means a consciousness that we are nothing in the presence of God. It is nothing then that we can produce. It is nothing that we can do in ourselves. It is just a tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. That is to be poor in spirit. And, and I got another quote here. And we'll end with this one and we'll have our invitation. Now, this is... Uh, by a Baptist preacher in Texas. And um, I just kind of like the way he worded it. Words are a little bit different. His name's Tony Evans. And I don't really listen to him or read a whole lot, but I found this quote. It says, to be poor in spirit is to have spiritual poverty, to be conscious of one's continual dependence upon God. Kingdom people recognize their own inadequacy and insufficiency apart from Christ. As long as you think you're rich in spirit, you will actually be independent and proud. So become a spiritual beggar. God's kingdom is God's rule. If you're poor in spirit, you will get to see the heavenly ruler in your earthly life. Only by being desperately dependent upon God can you become what he created you to be. Poor in spirit. Let's stand together if we would, please. And uh, just have a time of invitation as um, Brother Redmond will come and play a hymn for us and I don't know how God worked in your life tonight. You just have an opportunity to respond and re respond back to God as he spoke to you um, from tonight's sermon.